Hello, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Talking Each Other Home. I am your host, Danny, and joining me today, I have Yeja Bryan. And man, I was on the edge of my seat. All of her information was just like <laughs> getting me so excited for these different healing modalities. And so, just to give you a little summary on what we talked about, um, we talked about her journey and going from a physical assistant in the OR room doing lung transplants, moving through her journey and sort of a dark night of the soul and making her way into becoming a Reiki master, yoga teacher, and also um, being a PA in a ketamine clinic. So, I was just like, Oh, tell me more, everything. Tell me more. So we go deep into Reiki, what it is all about it. And it's so cool because she started out actually as a skeptic, um, and went to her first Reiki, uh, session and had a big, huge emotional release on the table. And then from there started to go on her own journey of healing and discovering and exploring. And now she is helping people. Now she has a table where people are having emotional releases on her table. So it was really amazing to hear about her journey and even all the work that she's doing with trauma right now through different yoga modalities and even in the ketamine clinic too. And so this was a really packed and amazing episode of medical information mixed with energetic healing mixed with yoga. And then we ended off with a little bit of ketamine education. And so I was just, you know, like I said, on the edge of my seat, just drinking up all of this amazing information. So, um, Yeja, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for doing what you do in the world. And thank you for your amazing um, insights and downloads that you gave everybody about getting off the hamster wheel and leaving maybe what isn't serving them and fulfilling them anymore to something that is more in alignment with their soul and their intuition and what makes them truly happy. So thank you for your journey. Thank you for the work you do and everybody, thank you so much for watching and I will see you on the next one. And right before we get into this amazing episode, I am going to sprinkle in some conscious champion stuff right here because there's so much exciting stuff going on in about a month. Um, the first ever conscious champion spirit walk retreat is going to be happening in Colorado and I'm not, we're pretty much at capacity, but if you have any interest, let me know. And I will see if we can work that in somehow. And then over the summer, so behind the scenes, I've actually been working with kids and they're dance athletes. And so what we've been working on is developing a strong, healthy mindset. Um, and a little bit of a spiritual connection. And so over the summer, I am going to be launching a course called conscious kids. And so if you're out there and you're listening and if you have kids and they're athletes and cheerleading or dance or football or anything like that, and you'd like for them to learn how to meditate, how to treat their peers more nicely, how to take criticism, maybe how to deal with pressures of, you know, being in a certain position with school or with athletics, please let me know. I would love to have them join this course. And it's probably going to be about eight weeks long. And, um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. And then something else that's coming up is probably a second retreat in Sedona, Arizona in September. So if there's any interest there, let me know. Cause as I'm starting to put all the little pieces together, it's helpful to know how many people are in. And then also in the fall, I will be running another one of the original conscious champions. And so if you want to be in the group, in the group, it's about 12 weeks long and we're going to be launching in the fall. So if you have any interest in joining any of these amazing things that are going to be going on between the summer and fall, please let me know. I would love to have you and connect and see how we can 
um, work together on an even deeper level. So send me an email. My email is danny at dannyreardon.com. And yeah, just let me know what's going on and we'll set up a call and see how we can connect on a deeper level and maybe get the kids in too. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to my little conscious champion rant and uh, enjoy the show. Yeja, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you joining us today. And I am so curious and literally on the edge of my seat. We're going to talk about lots of things, Reiki and yoga therapy, and even maybe a little bit of ketamine talk. So I am so excited to be talking with you today for all the reasons. So I just want to say welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I am so excited to meet you in kind of person and just be here with you as well. It's pretty cool how we got connected. It's like, like my cousin knew both of us and she's like, I think I just need to make this match and, and then let it go from there. And I'm so happy that she did. And who knows, like I'm coming to Denver soon. I may be able to actually meet you in person, person and get Reiki from you. And so like, I have to go back and thank Deanna for connecting us because I think she did a really good job. I agree. And also her timing was sort of impeccable with connecting us like right before you arrive here. And, um, you know, she must have felt a calling to do it for a reason. (laughs) So I'm happy she followed her intuition. So if you're watching this, thank you. (laughs) Seriously, thank (laughs) you. So I guess, I, I mean, I'm so curious. I'd love a little bit of a background on how you got into Reiki and yoga therapy. And so if you don't mind just giving me a little story about how that all came to be. Yeah. So I feel like we, both of us could have a long conversation on how life sort of changes and how we got to be where we are, but, um, sort of long story short, I have been very movement oriented my whole life. So growing up, I was actually training much like you were training in your former life so much um, to be a figure skater. And so up into the year, like till I was 16, I was homeschooled and training every day, doing dance as a complement to figure skating. And um, so movement was always very much a part of my life, but it was very much goal oriented, like you are going to the Olympics. And so that's how I sort of grew up. And then um, I got injured and realized that I wasn't going to sort of reach that pinnacle goal and transition my life to actually showing up in the school system for the first time as a high schooler. And um, that sort of type A personality of achieve, achieve, achieve kind of continued. And I decided to channel that into becoming a physician assistant. And so I was working in medicine for the last seven and a half years um, in a pretty intensive field. So I was doing lung transplant, um, kidneys, internal medicine in the hospital, and of course was working inpatient during COVID. And about a year and a half ago, my body just started shutting down. So I started getting really intense migraines where I would lose vision. I would um, not be able to feel a part of my body. Um, I have underlying autoimmune disease that super flared. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was definitely in fight or flight all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I couldn't sleep. I had panic attacks and just came to this point of like, what is happening? (laughs) Where, like, where am I? What's happening? Which I think so many of us have come to that kind of like dark night of the soul of like this transitional phase. And so that's when I started to really lean back towards movement and kind of found dance again, but instead of using it as a way to sort of achieve or perform, actually was able to use it as a way to express myself for the first time in a very long time Mm. um, and realized how important that was to me. (laughs) It's for me to like be a whole human. Mm. And that got me to be more connected to yoga again and breath work and all of these modalities that, you know, just started bringing me back to me. And so I took a month off for FMLA for the migraines um, and really had a lot of like time to do some deep healing and stepped my foot back (laughs) into work after that month and immediately was like, I can't be here. Like it was probably the first time in my life that my intuition was so strong and I actually listened to it. Like, I feel like all before that, I was just like, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not listening to you. Like, stop. That was the first time in my life where I was like, you can't do this to yourself anymore. Like, this is not your path. And so that was fall of last year. Um, And around that time, as I was doing this work, I was so... I started to realize that I really couldn't feel within my body. Like I couldn't feel emotion. I felt just so blocked and so numb and I felt hopeless. I didn't know like how to fix that. And so out of desperation, I was like Googling and Reiki came up as a modality to help with blockages. And so me being like medically trained and everything, I was like, this is not real, but I'm, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to try it. So I went um, very skeptically to this very kind, amazing Reiki master in Denver and um, went in so skeptical. And I had like the biggest emotional release that I've probably ever had in my life on her table and was like, if this is what can happen to someone that is a major skeptic, like what else is possible? What else could this do for me? And so that's what really piqued my interest into Reiki. Um, And from there have just been listening to my intuition more and more and um, just continuing to grow on my Reiki journey. I just became a Reiki master a couple of months ago, opened my own um, business that I called Embodied Energy Healing, which integrates breath and meditation and Reiki together and sometimes a little bit of movement. Um, And so I'm growing that business. And finally, things are really starting to feel like they are (laughs) aligning for me. And it just feels really good. So that's a very long winded story of how these things came to be. But that's kind of where I am perfectly winded. Don't even worry about it. Cause it was so great. Cause you, you spoke to your journey to listening to your intuition. You spoke, even spoke to the skeptics out there. Cause I think so many people at first hear Reiki and they're like, yeah, I don't know. 
But so I'm really happy that you spoke to that and how you went on the table as a skeptic and then came out like kind of a believer and like, okay, there's something to this. I'm going to go do my homework now and like figure it out. And I love that you're creating your own business and kind of your own way of, of healing and embodying. And um, it's like energy medicine. So I'm, I love, and I'm just now getting into breath work too. Um, so, okay, maybe let's talk about that for a second. Like what kind of breath work do you do? And yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, uh, well, I'll send you the link. I'm about to just release a short YouTube series on the six main types of breath. And then once you sort of learn them and feel comfortable with them, um, there are different videos to achieve different energy levels. So one for calm, one for energy for energizing one for balance. And then the thing that I'm really excited about with breath, I love all of breath, but the thing that I'm really excited about is um, like vagus nerve therapy, strengthening the vagus nerve through breath. And so in my own practice, I'm trying to work on that for myself by doing a lot of breath retention and veloma, which is like the stacking of the breath with the breath holds. Um, because when you first start to do it, of course, if you stop breathing, your body is like, what are you doing? Like you need to breathe. And what happens is that fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system takes over and is like, your heart starts to race, you get sweaty, you get panicky and your body is telling you like something's not right. And so over time, after you're building how long you're holding the breath, you start to get more and more comfortable in an uncomfortable place, much like we do in yoga, like finding, finding the comfort in the uncomfortable pose. It's very similar. Um, and so then as you hold your breath longer and longer, you're helping to build the strength of your vagus nerve, which is so important in um, basically the regulation of our nervous system, which we know is related to processing trauma and how we show up in the world and respond to activating things. And so that's what I've been practicing, like working on myself is building that retention and trying to build strength in my vagus nerve. Cause I think it's such a just important skill to have in life to have an, a, a trigger or something happen that activates you and be able to step back and react in the way you want to. Um, it's such an important skill. And I really believe that breath work can help you achieve that. Um, the other, something else that happened on my journey that was kind of one of those weird synchronicities, I was on Instagram and just felt connected to this person that popped up, started following them. And she is a breathwork coach and was starting a, basically a pilot program for women entrepreneurs. And she was looking for women to test out her pilot program um, through breathwork. And I messaged her and she ended up picking me to be one of the recipients of this pilot program. And so I had already been doing breath work on my own, but I experienced with her a different type of breath work in which you're doing a lot of um, forced exhalations, which causes, you know, kind of the tinglys in your fingertips and allowed me to go a lot deeper and was a lot of kind of what gave me this idea of growing in my Reiki practice. Um, 
so that was a cool synchronicity that kind of happened along the way with breath work. Oh my gosh. There's so much I want to say right now. So Vegas, <laughs> I've heard this term thrown around a lot. And just for people who don't totally know what the vagus nerve is. And I think you touched on it a little bit, how it like, it, it basically controls our nervous system. So excites it or calms it down. Um, but like, why is that so important in daily life to train that nerve in our body? And is it so we can deal with stress better or so we have more control over our physiology or like why train something like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So vagus nerve, there's two main branches, right and left. Um, and it controls the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the section of the nervous system that allows us to go into that rest and digest. So you have the sympathetic chain, which is like, you know, a bear is hunting me down. I need to run. I need to freeze, whatever. And then the parasympathetic, which is controlled by the vagus nerve largely, um, that allows you to actually come to baseline, to be able to relax, to be able to get out of that like cortisol adrenaline state. And so the more that we strengthen the vagus nerve and engage the parasympathetic nervous system, the more that our baseline can be here, can be relaxed versus walking around through life, just being in an activated state where stress hormones are moving, are being released all the time, even though there is no major threat or your phone rings and the sympathetic nervous system gets activated and you're releasing cortisol and all these hormones that are really dangerous to be exposed to over long term. So as you strengthen the vagus nerve, not only do you return to baseline more easily and kind of be able to stay there for longer periods of time, but also when those activating things happen, you can allow yourself not to respond as much as the sympathetic nervous system won't react as much. That cortisol and adrenaline like won't be pumped out to the, that extent that it had been previously. And so it's really good for our just general health overall, because we want to not be exposed to those those hormones over long periods of time, because we know they lead to chronic health conditions like inflammation, high blood pressure, heart disease, things like that. Mm -hmm. Plus living in a state of stress is not a comfortable place to be, obviously. Um, so strengthening the vagus nerve helps us have more stress resilience, basically. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Such a good answer. <laughs> um, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to talk about too was the breath work. So I've just been recently doing breath work. Uh, I'm not certified or anything yet. I joined, like I, I host a, a meeting um, every now and again with this girl who is, and she's actually coming to the retreat in when I'm in Colorado and we're going to uh -huh. do it all in person. But breath work has been one of the most powerful things for me and like the holotropic conscious connected breathing where we're going for like an hour breathing and breathing and breathing and the hands cramp up the face cramps up and all these things and then when you stop you're totally like your whole body is just waving with energy and I've been able to like get messages and downloads for my higher self and like talk and like the veil becomes very thin 
And it's just been, every time I do it, it gets even more deeper. I get more comfortable in that space. And now before it was like one answer and now I'm having like a full blown conversation and don't want it to ever end. And it's cool because it is slightly psychedelic in nature. Like I noticed that when I have like a little eye mask on or like a shirt over my face, there are some things that I'm starting to kind of see a little bit. So, and maybe that's because we were breathing for an hour. So have you ever done like the long breath work session? So with this breathwork coach, it was my first and really only time doing that type of breathwork. Um, and our sessions were an hour, um, but a lot of that was kind of like meditation before and kind of like talking through after. So I think probably like 30 minutes of actual breathwork. And I did three or four of those sessions. And I started to experience kind of what you're talking about. It, it definitely is something that kind of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, it, you have to sort of let go because it's a little bit frightening when you start to feel these sensations and you're like, oh, my hands are going into claws. Like, is this okay? Am I ever going to be normal again? Um, and so it took like the first time for me to just get kind of acquainted with it. And then I started to have a little bit of what you're talking about, but not to that much of an extent, but I could definitely see how, if I kept going, um, it like there could have been more growth and more deepness and actually doing those sessions with her led me to have way more meaningful and deeper, um, meditation sessions which I thought was interesting. That was something I did not expect, but I've always been someone that when I meditate, um, you know, I'm just trying to clear my mind and, and, you know, see shapes and colors sometimes, but like usually don't get anything beyond that. But after doing these sessions with her, I actually started to have like actual messages coming in during my meditation sessions. Um, which was really cool and something that I was even skeptical about that actually happened. And so when it started happening, I was like really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So it's almost like by doing breath work, you unblocked something, maybe crown chakra area or something like that, where it allowed, it sort of opened up a new level of downloadability if that's even a word um, so that you could like receive those messages in another way. And I think about breath, work almost like a dust off for the nervous system. Like when you're doing that heavy breathing, it's almost like you're shaking things up a little bit. You can have real big emotional releases, releases, and even unblock certain things. So that's what it sounds like happened to you. If now you're able to like get these downloads during meditation, that's like amazing. Isn't that, and it's our breath, like something that we already have that we get to use every day. Our breath unlocks stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's what I mean, and what you were talking about, that it's almost a psychedelic experience, like how amazing that we can recreate that without actually ingesting something or putting something into our bodies that we're able. And I think people that are highly trained in meditation are able to just get there. Um, but that there are also these other tools that we can use to help us achieve that state is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So cool. Okay. So breath work is something that you offer as one of your modalities and then Reiki. So we talked a little bit about how you got into the Reiki field, but can you give me 
I, I want to know what does a Reiki session look like from your view? Because I know from my view, I'm laying on the table, kind of meditating, maybe coming in and out of consciousness a little bit, maybe feeling something starting to shift and move like my belly growls and somebody's over here around my root chakra. So like, what does it look like from where you stand? Yeah. So it's definitely evolved over time too, which for me, practicing Reiki is a spiritual experience as well. Um, so yes, it's evolved over time, but basically it starts by um, me saying a little sort of meditation to myself to allow my ego to step aside because that's the whole, that's the whole point of practicing Reiki is that you are allowing yourself to step outside of your ego and allowing Reiki energy to stream through you and not let your ego kind of like layer what they think is going on and what is happening with this person instead just to be connected and let your higher self be the one in control. Mm -hmm. So I start by kind of like saying a meditation to allow that to happen. And so that I can keep reminding myself of that through the session. And then um, I basically allow the Reiki energy to start streaming through me. And then usually I will start off with a little bit of breath work to activate the client's parasympathetic nervous system, because I think all of these practices, a main goal is for the person to be more aware of what's going on with their body, to be more connected. So anything we can do to help encourage that. So usually I do a little bit of breath work to encourage parasympathetic activation so that you can kind of settle into your body, connect with your body. Mm -hmm. I might give you a couple of cues to connect to a chakra. And then I do a scan, which is basically like you just take your hand and float above the person and it's really intuition driven. So you're just like, don't question what's coming to you. Just allow it to come. And like, so even right now, you just like take your two hands like this and take a breath in, close your eyes. And just focus on the space between your two hands. And then bring your hands slowly a little bit closer and then a little bit further apart and a little bit closer. And it's totally okay if the answer is no, but do you feel anything between your hands? Yes. Yeah. Totally. That's all it is. Oh, <laughs> all it is. It, wow. That is so cool. So it's almost like I could feel it when I pulled it apart too. It felt like it was stretching around my hands. And then when I felt it together, it was almost like my hands were like in jello or something. I could definitely feel something. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's available to everyone. Um, so yeah, basically scanning the person and just feeling exactly what you just felt between your two hands, mm -hmm. between the person and your hand. And so I'm feeling energy, I'm feeling energy. Oh, something feels different in this spot. 
okay, like earmark that. And then you move down, oh, I actually don't feel much of anything happening right here. So is that an energy blockage or could there be so much activation above or below that it's pulling all of the energy from that space? So just kind of like doing that over the person's body, earmarking what's going on. And then you start giving Reiki usually to the place that's calling to you the most after that scan is usually where I'll start. Once in a while, I'll scan someone and I'm just like, everything feels really good. Like, <laughs> okay. So then I'll just start at the head and work my way down. But even when things feel very aligned and copacetic on my scan, usually when you start working, then things will come to you and be like, oh, I need to go here. I've, I've delivered Reiki to this area. So now um, something else is coming up further down below. And so you just are connected with your intuition and what's happening and let that guide you and also kind of focus on what the client has told you they're working on or you know if it's like i'm working on my confidence then i might really go for the solar plexus and just see what's there um and then just i think a huge part of it is being a being a supportive space to allow the person to do whatever they need to do. Like the first time I went in, I bawled for an hour and was convulsing. And so whether the person is, struggles with insomnia and hasn't had a good night's sleep for a long time, and you just let them sleep on your table while you deliver Reiki, or you let them cry or scream or just lay there, whatever needs to happen, just being kind of a support um, yeah. And then when the session is over, we actually um, do something called dry bathing, where we actually just make sure that none of the client's energy kind of gets absorbed. And then you sort of seal the practice and that's it. Mm, it sounds lovely. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And so like, all right. So I, I think maybe gosh, maybe five years ago now, um, I went to a Reiki one certification thing. And so mm -hmm. I got attuned or whatever it is. And something really cool happened like two days after that. And I haven't really continued with it after I just so many things going on. I haven't got into it, but my dog was really scared of the thunder and I put my hands on him and I was just sending, you know, Reiki energy. I did one of the little symbols and then he stopped shaking. And then I took my hands off and he shaked and then I put it back on and it was, and he stopped and my husband, I'm so glad he was there with me because he is one of the biggest skeptics and he was like, <laughs> Oh my God. And then I, my hands got really hot and I thought wow. forever, like that was just kind of bullshit. I was just like, okay, your hands get hot, whatever. And then my hands were like burning hot. And I'm like, Ian, feel my hands right now. Feel them. <laughs> like I did it. So it was like such a cool experience for me even, but it was like, and, and really that was kind of the only experience that I've had doing anything like that. And then I never went to any more trainings or anything like that. So getting trained to be a, now you said Reiki master. So is that like a certain number of levels up and then you get the Reiki master badge or how does that work? Yeah. So, well, to circle back to one thing you said about the burning of the hands, um, <laughs> there's, I don't know if you did Holy Fire Reiki or if it was a different modality. There's like angelic Reiki, there's all different kinds. Mm. Um, 
But that's a super common phenomenon in all Reiki, but especially the one that I was trained in called Holy Fire. Um, sometimes I will start like streaming sweat and I'm like, oh my God, I hope like my deodorant's working today, you know, <laughs> you're not really, you know, you're not moving a whole lot. You're really just standing there or resting, but the amount of energy that's like streaming through you, yes, like you become warm as this vessel that's like, yeah. So that is a very common thing and super weird when it starts to happen to you and you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like strip all of my layers off right now. Um, yeah. So there's different modalities and different kind of like pathways you can go upon, but typically you will do a Reiki one and two and then practice depending on who's certifying you for six months to a year. And then after you've practiced for that amount of time, then you are allowed to go and do the Reiki master, which is basically, it depends. Like some people will do, kind of like night courses for, you know, a couple of months. I did mine in like three 10 hour days, just like back to back to back. Um, and that's pretty much it. Okay. And you're just learning yeah. how you're going like maybe a level deeper, a level higher, wider with your learning. So the difference between level one and two, and then from being a master, what's kind of different between the, the trainings? Yeah. So just like you learn certain symbols, we're learning different symbols um, mm -hmm. and you're receiving different attunements, which I, I'm sort of like hesitate to say this. Um, I, I think that attunements can be really helpful. And basically what that is, is like the Reiki master will, uh, will, put you into a meditation and say like, you know, you are getting attuned to a higher vibration, a higher level frequency. Okay. Um, I sort of am of the belief that anyone put, like has this sort of healing energy, just like you just like put your hands together, like even someone that hasn't been attuned or received, you know, Reiki training. I think all of us possess this ability. Um, and I think these courses give us more tools in our tool belt to access that energy. But I really think it's within us all. And I think the thing that helps us like grow as Reiki masters is practicing, practicing and practicing, letting your ego step aside and doing other spiritual practices that allow you to be more connected to your intuition. Like those are the things that I really feel like help you grow as a practitioner, not necessarily having more attunements and more meditations. And I like Reiki people will probably hate that I'm saying this, but learning more symbols. So that's, I mean, that's what you get in the master level. You learn, you learn these other symbols, you get more attunements. There's a lot more discussion about the history of Reiki and um, how things have progressed since the beginning. And they talk a lot about um, more complex things Reiki can be used to treat like, um, cutting spiritual connections, like cut, like cutting cords, things like that, that are more evolved and more complicated than you would get with a Reiki one. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm so interested. <laughs> Gosh. Um, 
Oh, what was I just gonna ask you? Well, maybe we'll come back. Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, I guess the benefits of Reiki. So what can people expect or like who should come to do Reiki to, to get it done to them? Like, what are the benefits after you leave? And I know that there's even some medical stuff too. So maybe start with like on a scale of like, this is like the, the least amount of benefit, but then to the, all the way the most. Yeah. So I think at the very least, Reiki is another way to create relaxation to help activate the parasympathetic response, right? So you're in a room where you are being guided to relax. And so I think at the very least, people will get sort of the same benefit they can get from meditation and breath work as far as relaxation, stress relief, better sleep, those types of things um, at a minimum. I think that Reiki can be the most effective when you're really in a place that either there's chaos going on in your life or transition, or you're feeling like you need guidance in what to do next. Um, I think Reiki can be really helpful in that way because it helps you connect with your higher self mm. just as breath work can do. And I think if certain chakras or energy centers are blocked, then say you're like my heart chakra was so blocked the first time I went to Reiki. Um, when you're trying to make these decisions about where to go in life, you might not be getting a fully informed, <laughs> you know, your, your whole body, your whole energy system isn't involved in these decisions. You might be coming all from everything that's in your brain, in your head, and you're not allowing yourself to tap into what's in your heart or, you know, in your sacral plex, in your sacral chakra, like what creativity is there. Um, and so I think people can really benefit when they are, kind of in these pivotal moments in their life of feeling stuck, what's next, or in crisis of in a divorce or losing a loved one. Um, I think it can be really beneficial. But me being the skeptic that I am, I just um, wanted to pull up a couple of things. So hmm. there is now a whole basically avenue of what we call medical Reiki, where Reiki is being practiced at the Cleveland Clinic, Brigham and, Wig uh, ugh, Brigham and Women's Children's Hospital, Mayo Clinic, Hartford Hospital, um, throughout multiple modalities. So they're using it for chronic pain. Um, they're using it for psychiatric reasons. They're using it for hospice to, for, to alleviate pain, um, as well as to just help people achieve more peace and more kind of acceptance of the death process, which I think is really cool. Um, and they've actually had a few hospitals where they're bringing it into operating rooms. And so Reiki masters will actually go into ORs and be there for the duration of a surgery, sending Reiki to the patient. And there was this one, um, there was this one study at Hartford Hospital where they showed that when a Reiki master was delivering Reiki during, during surgery, they actually used less anesthesia, patients had less bleeding, um, used less pain medications, and had shorter stays in hospitals. So to me, as being a medical provider and also a skeptic, 
the fact that these studies are even being done and that Reiki practitioners are even being allowed in hospitals to me is mind blowing because in my seven years of practice in a hospital, I've personally like never seen alternative therapies be allowed to be there or any providers even kind of like opening to the possibility of that being a helpful thing to their patients. So the fact that that is becoming more integrated based on research studies that have shown benefit because like medical providers and big hospitals aren't going to let anyone in the door unless there's been data to show that it's actually helpful. So the fact that that's happening is really exciting. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, So, okay. We mentioned earlier about, you know, going up to a certain level in Reiki training and doing that whole thing. And then you even mentioned like doing things to strengthen your intuition on your own. So that kind of cute, and this is what I was going to say earlier, um, <laughs> like the vessel and like your spiritual work and what you do, I would assume is so important because you're like the conduit in that moment. And so people who are, who operate maybe at a low level vibration, or they're going out and doing things that aren't so spiritual, like getting drunk every weekend or doing eating like shitty food. So is there something to the work you do on yourself and you being able to transmit this energy? I think I'm getting that out right, but basically being the vessel that can hold that vibration, even in a yoga room or anywhere else, you kind of are holding the space and you're the vibration that everybody's coming to. So I guess, do you have anything on speaking to the importance of being like a pure kind of soul in this whole mix of it all? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, the most important thing is being able to allow your ego to step aside. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to do that, no matter sort of where you are, I think that's the biggest piece is, but I think the reality of that is a lot of people who are doing the things you just mentioned, like getting drunk every night and aren't clear headed. Like, I don't know that they will very much be able to set their ego aside and then just act as a pure vessel. Cause as we know, it's so hard to connect with higher self and to release the ego and be a pure vessel. Like I feel like all of us that are you know, spiritually evolving are working towards that all the time. And it's an active practice and it's difficult. And so I feel like it would be very hard to achieve that if you're not paying attention to your spirituality and doing these, these things to benefit your body and your mind. So I think that is the reason the ego part is the most important part. Um, And I think you have to be of sound body and mind and have those spiritual practices in order to be able to achieve that release of the ego. Mm. And even to help people on the table get there too, because it's almost like you're kind of taking them there and you're helping them with that. So it's really important that you're doing that as a practitioner so that they're able to you know, get whatever they're going to get out of the Reiki session. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, so I think there's different layers here. Like some people very much believe in connecting to the clients, like spirit guides when they're on the table. And a lot of people get a lot of downloads. 
some clients want nothing to do with that. Like they just want to receive Reiki and that's all they want. Other people are very interested in this other piece. So just being connected enough to the person to like know what is best for them. Like you might get a download on the table and it's not in their best interest for you to like regurgitate that to them and tell them that. Like just having that awareness and that connection with the human being in front of you and that intuition to just know like, what should I tell this person that I'm receiving? Like what is in their best interest? And that's Mm -hmm. the question we're always like asking for in Reiki is like, allow me to do through Reiki, what I can to, to present this person with what is their greatest good is like the, the question that we're asking all the time. And so to be able to give to the client what is in their best interest without overstepping or giving too much, because if you are receiving a lot of downloads, it's tempting to just be like, let me tell you all the things. And like, If you put an image or an idea into someone's head that is not beneficial, even if it's something that you have received, like it may not help them. Like I was in a Reiki session once where the practitioner told me she felt a concrete block on my heart and that was what she was like feeling and seeing. And I truly believe that's what was there. But to this day, I still like struggle with having this when I feel blocked of having this like concrete block on my heart chakra that has to be like chipped away at. And that probably wasn't the most beneficial image for me to have in my of myself, like especially in that vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is knowing what to relay to the person to help them be them best, their best selves and get to the best place. Mm. Cool. And that takes, I mean, it sounds like it takes a lot of practicing, experiencing, just kind of being in that Reiki session, whether you're giving it or receiving it to know what do they need to hear? What's going to sound good. Um, and yeah, I think you said too, like stepping out of the way, like having your ego step out of the way. And I feel like in, in those moments is probably when the best messages come through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's so interesting about the medical stuff too. And it's so cool that you've come from a medical background and now this stuff is starting to go into the medical field. Do you ever see yourself going back into the OR, but Reiki hands now instead of something else? Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, I had agreed to something a long time ago, um, of like doing a short hospital stint. And I actually was there yesterday, like for an orientation. And it was like, I can't be here in this way. I wish I wouldn't have like made this agreement, but um, actually I had this thought of, you know, I would love to be back here, but in a completely different role. Um, I think it's so hard because for a long time, I wasn't really honest with my coworkers about my spiritual interests and the path Mm -hmm. that I was taking um, because it's not well received. Um, Even in and of myself, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease a couple of years ago. And that's 
a diagnosis that's not accepted in the medical community. And so even with my coworkers and other physicians, like I would never tell them when I was sick, like what it was from because it wouldn't be accepted. And so for me, being able to come from one aspect of trying to fit in with what is accepted and these other medical providers to like shifting to a place where you know, practicing Reiki and being in their space, but from a different perspective and allowing them to feel what they're going to feel towards what I'm advocating for and being okay with that instead of like wanting that acceptance to be like, I don't care, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like a personal journey for myself to be able to be like, I don't need that acceptance from you. I'm doing what's best and what's in my own path. And I think, you know, I wouldn't have been there a while ago. Now I'm ready for that, but I wouldn't have been able to be with those colleagues and with those people above me, these important physicians and stuff and be able to speak my truth and, and speak my voice. Oh, that's so good. And I think so many people struggle with that too. And like wanting to say what they're into and wanting to be that person, but then they're afraid of acceptance, be it from your coworkers or your parents or your significant other. Like, I think that's, so what helped you now step into the space where you're like, yeah, I can totally come in there and do what I, what I advocate for. Like, what was that journey to like the truth and being okay to stand in it? Like, or what helped you with that? I think a big part of that was being so sick and going to the medical community for help and realizing that everything that was available to me was never going to help me and having to go on my own journey outside of what is accepted, um, having that journey in and of itself and realizing like, I'm only going to heal through these non-accepted modalities that these other people over here are not accepting, having that journey and wanting to advocate for others that are in this predicament is what allowed me to be standing on this side of things now, because it was a really difficult journey where I felt like I had no guidance. My medical training wasn't really helping me. And I saw myself and so many other patients that come to mainstream medicine, asking for answers and not getting anything. And so realizing that there's so much out there that is not accepted currently or is on its way to acceptance that can really help people and knowing that you have to stand up for that so that people can get the care that they need. Um, Yeah, I think I had to just experience it for myself in order to come to the other side. Okay. And was that like the dark night of the soul part where you were feeling like none of this is working? Like I have to totally do something else. And dark night of the soul is something that I feel like a lot of people go through. Maybe they don't know the terminology dark night of the soul, but I know, I feel like I've been through a couple. There was one that was like a couple of years where it was just like, God, can I get a break? Um, So can you talk a little bit about how it felt going through the dark night of the soul and like what that was like for you? Yeah. Um, and I didn't find the terminology for it until like months and months later. Um, but it just, so this was when I started to really have bad migraines and panic attacks, not being able to sleep. Um, 
and having this realization of I'm like, I've achieved all these things that I've been working for for so long. Like I have a really good job. I um, am respected at my work. I'm publishing research. Um, you know, I'm helping patients get lung transplants. That's pretty cool. I'm married. You know, I own a house, have this dog family. Like we're living in this picturesque Colorado. Like all these things that I thought that I wanted for myself and I'd been on this constant like drive of achieve 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 like do 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 and then all of a sudden like realizing I was there and but why am I so unhappy like disconnected from myself having panic attacks like not able to enjoy life at all and so my whole life I'd been thinking like oh I just have to get to that place of like you know, achieving all these things, ticking off all the boxes, and then I'll be able to relax and be happy. And I got to that place. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I am a disaster. Like, mm -hmm. like, all these things that I thought were just going to fall into place when I achieved this thing, and all of these things um, didn't happen. Like, I just was waiting for it. Like, okay, I'm here. I did all the things. I'm ready to be happy. And no, I wasn't. And in fact, I was extremely sick, both mentally and emotionally. Um, and so felt completely lost in all facets. Like I spent $200,000 to have this career um, that I've been working at for this long. And like, this might not be what I actually want to do. Like, shit, that's really scary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just why am I struggling so hard when I've achieved everything that I've wanted? And so basically having to just start from the very beginning and deconstruct everything and figure out why I was so miserable and slowly what I could do to come out of that dark, miserable place and realizing that achievement is not going to equal fulfillment and joy and, just slowly learning that journey and then exploring like what are the things that bring me joy how can I slowly start to reconnect to myself and so I did so much exploration during that time I found somatic therapy um, I did EFT tapping I did trauma releasing exercises I read so many books on trauma um, like just like so desperate to not feel as awful as I was physically and mentally. Um, but yeah, and countless doctor's appointments, neurologists, rheumatologists, CT scans, MRIs, like all of the things. And um, thinking for a period of time that, you know, I might have MS and like all of these things. And then just realizing like enough is enough. I'm not going down this medical path anywhere anymore. It's not leading me any anywhere. Um, and just started focusing my energy towards these other things and slowly started to improve and have less panic attacks and have less migraines and be able to sleep at night. And yeah, but it, <laughs> it's been a long journey that's still going for sure. <laughs> 
Oh, and so many people are so afraid to leave what they're doing too. And they just stay there. And, and like, I feel like you did a really brave thing by leaving, you know, what you did and same, like I left bodybuilding. I looked around and I was like, I've achieved this. I'm like second in the world right now. I have this great life, this great, all this, the sponsors. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know if this is doing it for me anymore. And it was so scary. It was everything I had worked for for 10 years, got my education and exercise physiology, worked so hard to get to the top of this top, top situation. And then I was just like, everything just was like, I'm like, this isn't for me. I don't want to eat like this anymore. I don't want to blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I feel like that was in 2017, 2000, like the beginning of 2018. And then from there till now, like now I finally feel like I am, I really like who I am and what I'm doing and how I'm serving, but it took, what is that? Four years? Like, yeah, yeah. like three and a half, four years of just like WTF <laughs> like exploration. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, I mean, was there ever a time while you were making that transition or stepping away that you were like, I did the wrong thing or like, I got to go back. <laughs> yeah. Even still, like even up till recently, cause so many people who follow me and who I'm connected with on social media, they're like, Danny, come back to the stage. Like I post like a, an old picture of me bodybuilding and they're like, is it a comeback? Like everybody. And so I think too, like I was so close to number one. And I think sometimes did I give up before like my time? Um, mm -hmm but I love what I'm doing now, like doing conscious champion and running the business that I do. And I don't know that if I had stayed, I don't think, I don't know if I would be doing what I am now. So I look back for over the last, you know, couple of years, four years or so. And I see how everything was kind of perfect leading me to where I am now. And I like where I am. So that happens all the time. I'm like, damn, did I, right before I was about to <laughs> finally get it, did I just like not try, but my yeah. fire for it went out. That's the only thing I can say is like, Oh yeah. It just went out. And I was just like, I don't really want to put myself through what I've been doing. It just, it looked very different for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, that totally resonates. Like I remember trying to sort of like build a program for where I was and trying to be really excited about all these things and like literally sitting there and being like, I, ha I just have I should be so excited about this and just like not being able to do it, just being like, I don't, oh, it just feels awful. And I think so many people are struggle with that thing, but there's so much fear around how am I going to survive and like, what else can I do? And it's such a really scary thing. And I'm still going through that now. I'm like on this evolution phase for sure. And there's been a lot of fear of, oh my gosh, I've given up all this salary, these benefits, like, oh my gosh. But I also think people are starting to embrace this more and more. I have a friend who is a lawyer and made a, like a similar jump a few months ago. And she's like teaching yoga and dance now. And I'm so proud of her, but it took like both of us a couple of years of really struggling and really having a hard time to even consider letting go and the fact that you really have to suffer like it's not just like mm, I don't think this is doing it for me it's like both of us really suffered for a long time before we were actually able to make that switch and I think so many people are there and all I have to say is I feel you <laughs> like it's so hard and if you're feeling that way just really 
consider it because I've never been like happier and more free and healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, even if I'm making less money right now, like if I'm sick, does it matter? You know, if I'm taking years off of my life in the patterns that I was in, like, does it matter? You know, and what else is possible? I would have stayed in that hamster wheel of the same thing without an opportunity for increased income or change for the rest of my life if I wouldn't have made that transition, you know? Yes, huge. Because I feel like a lot of people are, especially over COVID, reconsidering what they're doing. I think that happened to like, I've heard this term thrown around, the great resignation. And I don't know yeah. if that is like what this is about, but um, I keep hearing that term. So maybe there's like so many people who are noticing, oh, I really am sick, like mentally, physically, spiritually, like I am just not in alignment anymore. And we really need to, and like you said, suffering, sometimes people need like a, a diagnosis of some sort or need to go to the doctors. And it's like, all of these stress markers are like way high. You're pre-diabetic, all of those, those, those. And then, then they're like, okay, stuff needs to change. And so, like you said, there is a point of like really suffering to like, look within and go, like, what is up here? And I think when like happiness and fulfillment um, and living a long life start to become more important than the other things, maybe that's when like the shift that the strength to make the shift starts to happen is like, what actually is going to make me happy in life? Yeah, I think that's completely true. And I really hope for future generations that it can be a different path traveled, like yeah. that you don't have to have, I think a lot of us end up where we are because of societal constructs and a lot of pressure to, you know, achieve this certain thing, be perceived as a certain thing, have this amount of security. And really in our lives, we're not really nurtured to follow these other things that we may be really great at. Like I sort of think of, I grew up dancing. Like what if I, and I was really good at it. Like, what if I just kept doing that through my early twenties? Like, there could have been a lot of really cool opportunities for me, but that wasn't something that was nurtured or looked to be important by society. And therefore I did not follow that path, you know? And so I hope that future generations don't have to come to a place of getting ill and struggling to then circle back and like redefine their lives. And that's sort of my hope for others to come is that they don't have to struggle and suffer to follow mm -hmm. what fulfills them, you know? So what could they do? Like, let's say there's somebody who's like 18, 20 watching this right now. Um, what's, do you think it's like a follow your intuition type thing and don't let the fear of society overcome you or what could they start doing if you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I think definitely just like shut out society. Don't listen. I, I, and so many of my friends around my same age, I think made decisions that we made based on, based on the fear of, of not being safe, not being able to um, provide for ourselves by these societal constructs. So yes, like don't listen to the external. It's so hard nowadays, like it's everywhere, but like, don't listen to the external and do what you can to connect with your internal and find that thing that 
lights you up and follow that. Like whether that is something you've lost, like something that you did in childhood that you loved, whether it be like picking up a paintbrush or moving your body or whatever that was, just reconnect with that and see where that leads. And don't think about the end result. Like instead of thinking, oh yeah, I was really good at painting. Maybe I could make a career out of that. Like don't put so much pressure on it. Just commit to connecting to those things that make you feel alive, that make you feel passionate without putting so much pressure on the end result. I think Mm -hmm. that's where we get into trouble is, you know, from middle school and high school, it's all about what is the end result going to be? And instead, if we think shorter term of like what has lit me up and what lights me up now and following those things, instead of worrying about these really future distant things, which you may or may not even be here to experience. So just like kind of chasing those, those passions and thinking about more of the short term instead of 20, 40 years down the road. Mm. Love it. Great, great answer. I would have said the same thing. I love it. (laughs) Um, I do want to get into a little bit of the yoga therapy because I, so I was trained and core power is where I was trained. So in Denver or actually mine was in like Boulder area, but core power is where I fell in love with yoga after bodybuilding. I was like, what am I going to do? I needed a path to living. And I was just like a mess. Like part of my dark night of the soul was that. And I found yoga started to go somehow. My sister had a free month at core power. So I went almost every day and, um, it was like hot. It was hard. It was athletic. There were so many things to it. And then there was the chanting and the Hindu stuff started to open up for me. And I was like, Oh, okay. And again, for the first time in so long, my mind, my body and my spirit were so nourished. And the last time I had that was when I was bodybuilding. And when I left bodybuilding, I didn't know how to work out anymore because I didn't want to be in the gym. I didn't know how to eat because I went plant-based. And then I didn't know how to connect to the universe because my way of connecting was like through believing in a bodybuilding show or through, so I was like, I don't even know what to do. And so yoga started to tick the boxes for me. Then I went to teacher training and all this, but I do power yoga or vinyasa, stuff like that but I love the idea of doing yoga for therapy. And so there's a total, and I know there's like many different styles of yoga. Um, but can you talk a little bit about the trauma yoga or yoga therapy? Yeah. And so just a full disclaimer, there's many different paths to becoming a yoga therapist and I am not a yoga therapist. So to become a yoga therapist, I think it's like the amount of hours and training you need to do is quite profound. Um, So I am not that just as a full disclaimer, but sort of where my, I'm a 200 hour um, yoga teacher. And then I've also done trauma informed certifications. Um, And I have a passion for trauma. So a lot of my coming out of the dark night of the soul was learning about trauma and um, also the intersection of medicine, like the physiology of trauma and the nervous system, you know, kind of what we talked about with the vagus nerve and breath work, all of that was just you know, kind of like my aha moment of how I can help heal myself and help heal others. And so um, the yoga that I'm that I'm going to be teaching in studio is also actually a vinyasa based studio. So I'll be teaching a lot of like, slow flow and heated yoga. But um, I think as far as 
trauma and yoga and how people can heal and process their trauma. Um, yoga has been shown to be really, really helpful um, in, in helping people with PTSD um, in general. So they started using it in the VA um, along with breath work. And then that's why I think, you know, the yoga therapy has really taken off because there's a lot of data that has shown it's been really helpful for people. And I think the main reason for that is, um, you know, when a trauma happens to you, you're not really in, you're not in control of what happens to you most of the time during that trauma. And so, and a lot of us will react by feeling dissociated, meaning you're not within your body. You don't know how to connect to your body. You don't know how to be in body. And so I think yoga provides this opportunity where you get to make choices you know, like you're, you get to choose how you experience a pose. And that's a lot of um, yoga therapy is like giving a lot of autonomy back to the person. Like this doesn't feel good, do this. But also it may be the first time where someone is consciously within their own body. And so they start to take on a pose and they're being instructed to really connect to what the sensation that they're feeling is. And that might be the first time that they start to realize like, oh, I feel the sensation in my body. Oh, I am starting to dissociate. Like I'm no longer here because this pose activated some part of me that triggered me from another experience. And we know that a lot of the hip flexors and the psoas muscles store a lot of trauma as do uh, like all of our muscles in the body, but especially those regions. And so a lot of times when we start to go into poses that stretch or activate those muscles, they can actually be very triggering for people. And that might be a time where you might say, why do I hate being in, you know, happy baby? Like, why is it so uncomfortable? And start asking those questions of like, what is, what is this connected to? What is stored in these muscles that is making me feel so uncomfortable and so awful and making my, my nervous system flare up right now? Why do I not want to be here? Mm. And so it's really connecting poses and movement to trauma in a safe way. And so I'm not a therapist. Like I would never go into let's, let's talk about your history here. Like, um, I think that's something that maybe a yoga therapist would do, but for me, just being able to help people connect to their bodies, to the shapes they're making and helping them to recognize what emotions are coming up and have like holding a safe space for them to process whatever is coming up. Um, I think can be really healing in and of itself. And a lot of the stuff I kind of do on, on, on YouTube is integration of yoga and dance, because I think that yoga is a very structured thing. Typically when we take a class, you know, um, it's do this pose, do that pose, do this pose. And that's like, that's great. It allows you to have some structure so that you can focus on your breath focus on the sensation, push yourself. Mm -hmm. But for me, there's a little bit of um, creative expression that can be lacking from that. And so I like 
to try to kind of pair the two where yes, you can be focused on your breath, you can be fo focused on your sen on your sensations and you know, doing doing the yoga things, but then also how can you move your body in a way that feels very intuitive? So like how can you connect with your body in a way that you start to trust the movement that you're making? Like instead of questioning oh, like, am I doing this right? Trusting yourself to just move in a way and letting go. I think we can release a lot through intuitively moving in a way that feels good. You know, we know there are a lot of yoga movements that help activate different chakras and can help release. But I think that dance can be a big part of that too, of just trusting yourself, and moving in the way your body is asking you to can release a lot of energy. And I have felt that with intuitively moving, whether it be like rocking or, um, which is such a kind of like soothing thing as a child, but like a lot of times for me, in order to release, I actually have to have some type of movement there. And so I think that you can actually help people find blockages sometimes by integrating certain type of movements that they might not feel what's there until they start like, oh, wow, that's here. Um, so that's kind of my long-winded explanation of both how I think yoga can be helpful in trauma and then how I just like love dance and I love intuitive movement and I love seeing people just totally let go and trust themselves and moving in a way that feels <laughs> okay just had a little technical difficulty but we are back my vagus nerve is working its way back down to relaxation mode <laughs> and um, okay so we just finished up talking about yoga and the ways that it can help with you know different releases and different sort of uh, new awarenesses is really what I was hearing you say around uh, the body and what's located in there and fascia gets stored in our trauma or I'm sorry trauma gets stored in our fascia right and is that why sometimes when we're in yoga poses or even like yin classes or real restorative classes, there's a certain type of unwinding that happens. And then does that release, like, I don't know the whole science behind it, but I believe that it feels right to me when I talk about it. Um, do you have anything around that stuff? The fascia? Yeah, no, that's exactly spot on. And, you know, like we were talking about a lot of times that trauma can be in the major areas of the hip flexor. So in the psoas muscle, which is a huge muscle that basically connects upper to lower body. And so a lot of poses where even like a bridge or a happy baby where you're starting to, or like a pigeon pose and restorative poses where you're really getting deep. Mm -hmm. So people might be like, why am I feeling emotion arise right now? Or why do I feel uncomfortable? Or why, why is my vagus nerve? Like, why do I feel so activated? Um, and the kind of theory or hypothesis there is that um, trauma gets stored in the fascia and in those muscles particularly. So when you go into these deep poses where the fascia is actually starting to stretch because the fascia basically, you know, is this, 
outer covering of the muscle system and however we carry our body throughout the day, the fascia kind of like gets dried and enhanced in that way. And so when you start to really open it, it's like, oh no, like you're making us change from this form that we're in and we don't really like it. Um, and so it can feel like a lot, especially when you're holding these poses for, you know, up to three minutes. And when you're really getting into those areas where notoriously trauma is stored, mm. that's why you can have these really emotional responses. And it's totally normal, but I think it's important to have guidance on what's pushing things too far, like how much you don't want to be totally flooded um, because then your sympathetic nervous system is at a place where it's really activated and you're uncomfortable and you're not getting benefit versus can I push my edge a little bit so that I start to feel uncomfortable, but that I can work with it. Mm -hmm. Very similar to what we talked about with breath work and like, holding your breath for long enough that you start to, you know, build and grow. But if you push yourself too far and you flood yourself, then you're defeating the purpose. So I think having guidance on where to be and how to hold that space if it becomes flooded is really important. But um, along those lines, I, it's, I, I don't think it's totally for me, but I find the concept super interesting and I haven't thought about it for a while. So I don't know, I will explain it very well, but I will try. Um, trauma releasing exercises. Have you heard of this? I don't, I'm not sure. What are they? So there's this whole branch of movement called trauma releasing exercises. And um, there's actually some practices that integrate it with yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hypothesis is that So if you see an animal out in the wild that's like getting hunted, a lot of times they have footage of these animals that like after they've escaped from death, their sympathetic nervous system is like, obviously they're, they are in their fight or flight, you know, because they're fighting for their lives. Yeah. After that happens, you will see these animals go into these stages of just like tremors, tremors and shaking. And the thought is, is that all of these stress hormones get released into the animal's body. And in order to re-regulate the nervous system, the way that their bodies know to do that is by tremoring and like releasing all of that, um, all of those hormones, all of those stress hormones that have been flooded into the body through that tremoring. And so that's how they re-regulate their nervous system is by that movement. And so um, as humans who live in societies where we can't just like start tremoring all the time, every time we get activated, there's this thought that like maybe once upon a time we had this innate response of tremoring to release trauma and that we've lost that sort of innate wanting to do that. Um, and so that a good way to release trauma and re-regulate the nervous system is actually by creating this tremor. And so since we know so much trauma is stored in the hip flexors, the psoas, the glutes, the thighs, these type of exercises actually make you sort of activate those muscles with certain targeted targeted exercises. So you're activating them. And then you lay on the floor 
start to release. And what happens is your like your body just starts to naturally tremor on its own without even thinking about it. It's so crazy. Um, and so I don't know how therapeutic though. I've done it a few times. I know it's not, I'm not sure if it's like really my thing, but it gave me, it made me really believe in the science of this trauma of trauma releasing exercises. And then like actually watching animals do this in the wild. That's really crazy. So um, kind of a connection there with Mm -hmm. where trauma is stored and how it can be released. And I think it's been really helpful for some people, but like everything else, I think you have to find what is best for you to process what you need to process. Mm. Speaking of tremoring, when I did a breathwork session in Sedona, I was there at a retreat and there was like a hundred of us around and we were being led through this awakened breathwork is that that's the people who lead it. They're now doing it with the UFC and stuff like that. But anyway, I was laying there doing my breathwork and I was shaking. I mean, like I could hear my bracelets by my head, my, from head to toe, I was like tremoring, um, like convulsing. And I just kept doing it and kept breathing it, but it felt like I was releasing something and then receiving something at the end of it. It was a wild, but the, I couldn't believe how, um, how much I was tremoring from head to toe. And like the frequency of it was really small and really, really quick. So it wasn't like big ones like this, but it was just like my whole body was wigging out. Um, and it felt like a release is the best way I can say it. So even like breath work, like breath has like such a, I don't know, just reminded me of the tremor thing. So cool. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you probably never, you didn't know your body was like capable of making those movements. Right. And the breath work probably tapped into a place where you allowed your body to express itself in the way that it needed to, like your body was like, I need to release these things and this is how I'm going to do it. And you just allowed your body to have that space to do what it needed to do. And I think how often do we get like tapped in so deep that we allow our bodies to do what they want to do without us controlling our bodies? You know, it's always us having control over. Mm. Um, And so I feel like the body knows what it needs. It's just allowing it to be in control and to express itself and take over in the way that it needs to. And clearly you were able to do that in that moment, which is so cool. (laughs) So cool. It was amazing. I was like, what was that? And afterwards I was in this state of just like, couldn't really talk right for a little while. I was kind of like surprised and like really taken back and I felt like I had released something, but I don't, I still to this day don't know what it was, but something definitely needed to be released. And then what I was receiving was like my presence and my soul. And I was like receiving these beautiful messages at the end of it all. But even during that, I was still really, really, really shaky. And even when I got up and tried to walk 30 minutes later, I was still just like, I just need to just be still right now. Cause I can't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It was crazy. Um, and still to this day, I don't really know what was being released or what that was about, but I, obviously it needed to come out of me. Um, yeah, it was wild. And even in that session, there were people around that were like screaming, like crying, yeah. like there was just like so much just releasing happening. So it was crazy. And maybe it was the, even the collective energy of being around other people who were in that space too, but I will never forget 
how much I was shaking. <laughs> I felt like I was <laughs> in a whole body shiver. Um, and so, so maybe this is a good segue. And I just have a couple questions um, about ketamine. So I've been so curious about this modality of healing therapy within with a physician too. So it's interesting that it's now being done in clinics and it's not just something that you like find and do with your friends. I mean, I'm sure that's out there too. I know it is, but this is like a really therapeutic way to um, ingest ketamine or just go through the experience of it. And so I'm really just coming from a curious place of what, what are the benefits of ketamine therapy? What is ketamine for people that don't know? Um, if you don't mind just shedding a little bit of light on that for me. Yeah, for sure. So, um, the major population that we treat is medication resistant depression. So these are folks that have been on all the antidepressants. Some of them have done ECT, which is, you know, basically shock therapy. A lot of them have tried to commit suicidal or are actively suicidal. A lot of them are kind of at the end of their rope. So, um, we run the gamut from kind of mild depression to like the worst, most severe cases of depression. Um, that's the bulk of what we treat, but also anxiety, PTSD, trauma, which has been really cool for me to have another avenue to just like help people with their trauma and PTSD. Um, and then also chronic pain. So a lot of people that have depression will have chronic pain as well, but we also just treat patients that come in for chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so ketamine has been used in the medical community for a long time, um, mostly for pain. So if you come into the ER and you need your shoulder reset, um, instead of like giving you a ton of narcotics, we might give you a little ketamine because it's a dissociative anesthetic. So meaning that you sort of like, dissociate from your body a little bit. So you're not like there for this traumatic thing where we're like popping your shoulder back into place. Um, and it's, and it's an anesthetic. So it helps with pain. And even now, um, where we use it to help people to go to sleep in the operating room, um, we use it on the floors to help with pain control after surgeries, um, or to try to decrease amounts of narcotics that patients are getting for pain, because it also helps with pain. So that's kind of like the wide gamut of how it's used medically. Um, And then within our clinics, um, we actually do intramuscular injections. So you don't need an IV, you just like get two shots, one on each arm, basically. Um, and the sessions last for about an hour and the gamut of experiences can really range. Um, but we're trying to basically heal through two mechanisms. One is at the level of the receptors, the brain receptors. So, um, ketamine actually targets a lot of different receptors. So cannabinoid receptor, opioid, like all of these different receptors that kind of help your brain reset and create neuroplasticity, which is a fancy term for basically like changing the neurologic structure of the brain. So there's that piece. And then there's the piece that is having the, the, you know, the hallucinogenic dissociative experience of when you're able to actually step outside of yourself. Um, So we call that the psychotropic effect. And so a lot of people that are able to get to that place of 
you know, while being monitored in, in a safe space, completely step outside of their bodies, um, have a whole different perspective on what they're struggling with. So ketamine kind of allows you to step outside of yourself without emotion. So you're sort of out of here looking in without having all the emotion and the trauma that you typically carry with you day to day. You're able to see the situation without that. Um, and the other part is that people, so that helps with perspective shift in and of itself. When you can see your situation completely devoid of all of the other things, all of the layers of emotion, all of the trauma that you've gone through, um, is super helpful for perspective shift. And then like a lot of other hallucinogenic experiences, people will feel a oneness with everything. They will feel usually like coddled, taken care of, you know, connected to nature, connected with each other. And that also helps your perspective shift because what's really important, you know, what was seemed so important seems less important. And it feels really good to feel connected when there's so much like negativity and difficult things that we encounter every day. And so it's kind of by those two things that we, that we're helping patients is actually at the level of um, neuroplasticity and the receptors in the brain, but then also having these really profound experiences, much like people would talk about with ayahuasca or doing recreational ketamine, um, but targeting the amount that they're getting so that they're getting enough so that they sort of are able to leave their bodies, but not so much so that they're completely forgetting the experience, which happens a lot with like recreational ketamine. You know, you'll go into this like K-hole as they call it, where you don't really remember, you're kind of frozen and you're not really getting an experience because you don't remember what happened. So you can't really take it with you. So it's sort of targeting the perfect dose for the person to achieve that experience. Mm, awesome. Sounds beautiful, actually. Um, and during, is it silent for them? Are they listening to music? Are they being walked through like a meditation or are they just, their brain is just doing what it wants to do? So um, they're in a private room and we have a screen with nature scenes that they can choose. Like they can be in the Aurora Borealis or they can be in Costa Rica or they can be under the ocean. Um, so some people will choose that. Other people will really want to inflect, like reflect internally and they will just, you know, put on the little eye shades. So it's kind of up to them. We actually encourage music because music can enhance the ketamine experience for sure. Um, and then there's this benefit of if you're listening to the same, if you're listening to a certain music while you're having your ketamine experience, if you replay that music after, it can actually be super therapeutic because it can trigger some memories that you may have had during the experience that you've forgotten, or it can help you sort of reprocess. My dogs are barking at the um, Amazon Prime guy. Um, and then with our therapists, actually, sometimes we have people that want to uh, kind of process a specific trauma 
pick music that is associated with that trauma. So say something happened to you in like 1992 and you were listening to whatever, like, I don't know, Blink-182 or whatever was popular then, or there's a trauma connected to a certain person and there's music that's connected with that person, sometimes we'll actually have them listen to that during their ketamine experience so that they can bring up that trauma and process through it. I would never like recommend just doing that on your own without sort of a therapist guiding you through that, but we can actually use music to sort of guide that experience. Mm, Wow. 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 Okay. I've always been just so curious on what people are doing with it now and how it's administered. And so thank you for that sort of umbrella uh, overview of everything. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. For sure. The the other thing that I think is really um, positive is we can do smaller doses of ketamine and then you actually have um, a talk therapy session while you're on ketamine, um, which is really beneficial as well. Wow. And to be able to go to a ketamine clinic, do you have to have like a clinical diagnosis of depression or PTSD or anything like that? Or can anybody kind of go and talk to the therapist first and get vetted and then go in? So right now, um, different clinics, I think, offer different things. But for us, you do have to have some sort of diagnosis of depression and anxiety. A lot of times, um, you know, if you haven't seen a therapist, but you're like, I know I'm depressed, I know I'm struggling with anxiety, then we'll sort of talk to you, make sure you're medically safe. So a provider like myself will make sure that there's no medical contraindications and then have some, a psychiatrist or a therapist also just like go through and make sure they're, they're set up for a supported experience. Um, so it's not like you have to have had a psychiatrist say like, like you have major depressive disorder. Um, you can just talk to us and be like, this is what I'm experiencing. Help me. Um, but we try to make it so that people can't just like walk in off the street without any issues and just be like, I want ketamine because there's such a high demand for it. Um, you know, that we want to make sure that people that need it are the ones that are getting access. Mm, So smart. So good. That's, I kind of felt that, well, it just, if it's in a clinical setting, it seems like it, there's a little bit more medical intervention and just making sure that they're set up for success versus just anybody trying, wanting to try ketamine. So that's, that's good that it's like that. I appreciate that actually. Um, okay. So I do have one more question. And I forgot to ask earlier about virtual Reiki. So I'm just going to circle back to that really quick before we wrap up. Um, Some people are skeptical. They're like, is virtual Reiki a thing? Can you do it? How do you do it? Um, Yeah, if you don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, So I was also very skeptical of it. And when I was being trained to deliver it, I was like, I'm never going to do this. This is like, no, I'm not doing it. Um, and so I think you have to kind of experience it for yourself to decide if it's the modality for you, um, and make up your own mind. And I'm not going to tell you like, it's great. It's the best. It's just as good as hands-on, but through my experience, even starting as a skeptic with virtual Reiki, I've had some really major experiences, both on the giving and receiving end. Um, and, 
you know, my sort of belief is that energy is everywhere. That is like what Reiki is. So if I'm intending to deliver Reiki to you, no matter where you are, like it will get there. Um, and so it has been my experience that people actually have just as profound of experiences with virtual as in person. Um, but I do also think with hands-on Reiki, you know, it's a different experience in that um, there's a healing effect to just sometimes, especially someone that's like had trauma or is, you know, has has benefit of even just getting out of the house and having sitting here, like having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody, um, having actual hands like lie on them. If that's something that they don't actually get to experience physical touch very often, mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful and very beneficial thing. But if those aren't the things that you're looking for, if you are looking for Reiki for a very specific intent, I think virtual Reiki can definitely fill that, that bubble for you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so I guess, the, so the podcast is called Talking Each Other Home. And um, when I say home, like, what does that mean for you? Or what does that ignite in you? Um, that is a beautiful question. I love that. Um, I think we always think of home as a place. And over the last couple of years in my journey, I think I've come to realize that home is being in a place within yourself that you can feel comforted and safe wherever you are. And so I think home is feeling at peace with who you are and being connected to yourself. So good. Love that. Answer. <laughs> so good. Oh. And holding my dogs. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, Yeja, where can people find more about you? And I'm totally going to link all your stuff in the show notes. Um, but just for people who are listening, where could they find you? Yeah, totally. So, my website, embodiedenergyhealing.org. Um, and from there, you can find out more about my Reiki services, virtual and in person. And then um, I do some things on YouTube, some breathwork sessions, some yoga videos, some intuitive movement. So um, we'll link to that too, my YouTube page. And then I also do some meditations on Insight Timer. So um, feel free to check those out. I have, um, I do a lot of yoga nidras um, and then some migraine relief meditations as well. And I'm hoping to do more on chakras in the future. And then also Instagram. <laughs> what, like every, how do you find you on Instagram? It's yogic.dance. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, Insight Timer. I, I use Insight Timer like every day. So I'm mm -hmm. definitely going to have to look you up and listen to some of your stuff. Yay. Oh, well, thank you. This has been so nourishing for me. This has been, I've been on the edge of my seat, so curious about all of these topics. So thank you for taking the time. I know this was like a little longer than maybe we thought, but I really appreciate your time and energy and coming on and telling us about all of these things. Yeah, same. It was wonderful to connect with you and I'm excited to hopefully see you in person soon. No. <laughs>
Perfect timing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of, what is it? Friday. I hope you have a great rest of your Friday. Thank you so much again. And everybody, thank you so much for watching and listening and joining us for another podcast episode. I appreciate you so much. And I will see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you.